I don't know how that song ends. <laughs> it's just those noises. Uh. <laughs> Ooh, welcome. Hello. This this is uh who cares? This is uh <laughs> one foot on the ground. Uh this is Johnny. And this is Ashley. And, and today we're watching eight and a half. Oh y mezzo. Uh, by Federico Fellini. 1963. Thank you, because I was scrolling. I thought you just knew it, so <laughs> I, I actually, took the title, I'm really, and I was like, I'm going to give him this. <laughs> like, Kubrick, I can usually figure out the year, but Fellini, I'm not so great with. Fellini's and in your top three. He is, but he, I don't know. It's confusing. And then back in the day, the internet was unreliable. So a lot of the times the release date for films was listed incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Like, Amarcord is always said to have been, like, 75, but it's actually 73, I think. So, it's just, there's a whole bunch of bullshit. Anyway. We should have we should have had those uh, upvotes and downvotes sooner. Oh, yeah, seriously. Knock the misinformation Get to the that. bottom. Get that out of here. Get out of here, you misinformation. So, how do we start talking about this beautiful film? Well, John, what was it about? <laughs> <laughs> what was this film about? Want me to tell you my take? Actually, yeah. Tell me yours, and then I'll tell you mine. Perfect. I actually do kind of know what this is about. Well, it's like about a, a man with writer's block or director's, director's block. block. <laughs> but how is that not the same? It's the same. <laughs> and he is just partaking in a lot of emotional avoidance, mm -hmm. and he's just very unhappy. And we have to follow him as he idolizes... Uh, these many women, but only before the age of 26 is what I gathered before they have to go upstairs. Oh, <laughs> God, I meant, to, I meant to put my note on that. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. I love it. Uh, no, I don't love it, but I love it. John? <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that chauvinistic shit. <laughs> and, oh, not chauvinistic. It's chauvinistic? What is that? Sure. Oh, oh my. my God. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, they want you to know that it's chauvinistic. <laughs> <laughs> that was the deciding factor. Uh, and then um, and then he cancels the movie, and then he makes it again. Sort of. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. And then all of his peers and loved ones and all the people of his life come out into this big parade, and then the movie ends. Yeah. So <laughs> tell, tell me what this movie is about. <laughs> this film is about a filmmaker that can't seem to make a film. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> so let me, I'll start, I think, maybe. Should I start? Go ahead. Uh, Absolutely. Well, first of all, I kind of wanted to give you some of the Wikipedia shit real quick. Uh, Eight and a Half won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. And best costume design, black and white, because they had a distinction back then. Oh, um, yeah, because it was 1963, so yeah, color yes. was the thing. It is, uh, what is it? 
It's in the top 10 of the BFI's top 50 greatest films of all time. It's ranked third in the 2002 British Film Institute poll. Oh, so that's the same thing. So it's a third. Third best film ever made. As far as um, the Brits are concerned? British Film Institute, yeah. Which I kind of trust them. I like them. Uh, it is. This is funny. It is also listed on the Vatican's compilation of the 45 best films made before 1995. I have, <laughs> which I is have really funny given the to, history with this. I was gonna, Fellini. I was gonna ask. Does isn't he? Didn't he have like some a problem? Didn't oh, Fellini yeah. have a problem with the Vatican? Yeah, he did beforehand. What was that about? I don't know. <laughs> I, I know he had one. I mean, it's like Madonna. She had a problem with the Vatican too. Does the Vatican just have problems performing? with people? Yeah. They don't like, I mean, they're very, because the Vatican in in Rome and Italy or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's, well, first of all, the Vatican is its own country. Did you know that? No. Like, the Vatican itself is self-contained. It's not part of Italy. Like, the Pope is the ruler of the The Vatican. Vatican. Yeah. So it's its own country within a country, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah. And... Uh, although I don't think you need your passport to walk into because <laughs> I did. I, no, nobody's stamping right your uh, your St. passport. Peter's, yeah. Um, oh, maybe it's a, a city state. I can't remember. It's something like that. We're basic. It's governed by its own thing, which is the Pope, right? Uh, and the uh, the Catholicisms. Um, but they kind of like. Their influence on the culture of Italy, mm-hmm. the general population and that kind of thing is, is huge. So when they don't like something, you're not supposed to like it. You know what I mean? Like when they yeah. ban something, motherfuckers, you better not like that shit. Like when Madonna was banned mm-hmm. from whatever, from Catholicism or whatever it was that happened when she was on her Blonde Ambition tour, it's... um. Same kind of thing. Like Fellini was condemned for his portrayal of the uh, Catholicism in his films, and they were very picky about what was shown in films. And basically, they're they were kind of like the MPAA or whatever, right? But of the time, like in the early sixties, well, the sixties, I guess. Well, the Vatican makes lots of statements in general. Like, well, of course. What are the the only other thing I can think of is the oh my goodness. The Conjuring was about them. The, the dude who exercised people and his wife was a medium. Lorraine. Bobbin? No. No, not Bobbin. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Warrens. The Warrens. The yeah, Warrens, yeah. yeah. And like the Vatican was like, well, this guy can perform exorcisms. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they have a yeah. specific, you have to be. What you is it? Be a Catholic priest to perform Vatican or Vatican. You have to be certified or whatever. Like yeah, you can't just you have to take willy nilly go and perform an exorcism. You have to be granted permission to do so by the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. and they kind of did the same. They were very ruly about films, mm-hmm. and of course, all these neo realists were coming up and saying, "Well, <laughs> well, we don't like you." fuck you and we're gonna put whatever we want in our films of course the neo-realist which fellini was technically part of mm-hmm. early on explain what a neo-realist is they were italian filmmakers that kind of like the french new wave situation where there was just like this new young group of filmmakers that came in and 
Did they do a lot of like surrealism type no. stuff? It was more realistic. <laughs> well, neorealism. No, I know. I, I was <laughs> laughing at myself. <laughs> oh, they they kind of basically they didn't want to give you, I guess, a, a saccharine version of of things. They wanted to show you this is what life is really like for us Italians, and it's not easy. It's hard. We're mm-hmm. all gonna die, and so they had like this kind of like bleak bleak yeah attitude that they put on film so Mm -hmm. most of the films that you watch from that time are like good god (laughs) and in fact the one that's the most neorealist of fellini's films is one of my least favorites which is um oh shit ilbedon which is the swindle and it's just it's like good god i mean the main character i could care less It, it was almost like fellini was trying too hard to please his contemporaries and then after that, he was like, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing because I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't do well for me. Um, and I didn't like it. I mean, even La Strada, to a certain extent, was sort of neorealist. I mean, if you ever see that, which you haven't yet, I'm assuming. No, I have not. Um, we'll, we'll deal with it at some point on the podcast. But it's horribly sad. I mean, it's like one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of those films that you should see. But it's so fucking sad. And it's hard to get through it without just sobbing hysterically because it's so awful. But and but he also, he had his Fellini thing in there, the, the humanity part of it, which neorealists weren't all that thrilled about which is why the next film was the swindle and it was just kind of like their template for what they thought film should be presenting to people does that make sense okay anyway and then after that he was like you know what i'm gonna go back to my own thing he did knights of Cabiria, and then la dolce vita and now we're here and with la dolce vita la dolce vita was massive it was a huge film like millions of films Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the thing that brought Italy into the focus for being a place that was producing fantastic films outside of Italy. Does that make sense? Like it was exported to like America. It won an Academy Award. You know, it was, it yeah. was huge. Uh, and everybody loved it. Now, I do love that film, but I don't love it as much as this one. It, it's so interesting. It's different. It's kind of the same, but it's different. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I think La Dolce Vita was the first time Fellini was kind of not giving you a full script, mm-hmm. which is something he was notorious for after this. Like, after ever this since movie? La Dolce Vita on. Oh. He was kind of notorious for... La Dolce Vita had the same costume designer as um, Eight and a Half, right? I believe yeah, so. Yeah, he won, he won an award for, for yeah. both, for his costume designs. I mean, he's good, so... Yeah, I dug Work it. it girl. <laughs> <laughs> Work it, girl. Work uh, it, Yeah. I mean, well, he had, uh, Fellini worked with a lot of the same people, sort of. I think... Uh, oops. I wrote this down on my original notes, but I don't have them. Um, I think it's... He would tend to work with people, like, four times in a row, mm-hmm. and then dismiss them. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, except for Marcello Mastriani, of course, because he worked with him quite a bit. And, of course, his wife, Juliette Messina, he mm-hmm. worked with quite a bit. But, I mean, that's his wife. And she's Yeah, amazing. but did he have, like, many mistresses? Like, in no. this movie? No. 
I mean, no. Okay. As far as, I mean, I think it depends on who you ask. Mm-hmm. But as far as I could tell, and this is something that, like, early on, I had always assumed, because this is what I'm saying, that the internet information when I started loving Fellini was very, it's just a skew. It was like whoever had an opinion about anything was just plopped Facts. onto the internet. Yeah. And it was a fact. So my version of Fellini is not the Fellini that actually is. Does that make sense? So sure. what I learned about him all turned out to be like, not true. Like he did not have affairs with men and all this kind of shit that I thought he Lame. Did. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but he loved his wife. Um, um, I mean, they were inseparable. And she died shortly after he did. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't live much longer after after he passed. Because she couldn't live without him. Because she loved him so much. But, um, and she's amazing. I love her so much. But he was honest about how he presented his feelings about everything. So, but, well, and this was a note that I had for later. But he, there's a documentary about him called I'm a Born Liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he always said, like, he was a, a liar, but he was truthful about it. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, there were a sense. lot of... Um, so he doesn't claim the film to be... Autobiographical. Auto, like, or auto-fictional, either. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of... As I've been reading through things, it's been a lot of... There's a lot of similarities that... Yes. I'm like, Fellini, just say it. He Well, he was <laughs> he was very aggressive to not say it. <laughs> yeah, and like, I, I, it's the same I don't think the, anybody really knows why. Like, David Lynch, he's like, the Eraserhead wasn't a stress dream. It's yeah. like, boy, <laughs> did you see it? Yeah, it's stressful. Uh, <laughs> it has nothing to do with my uh, my stress about becoming a father. <laughs> it's like, he, yeah. It's all over the screen, man. It's, yeah, and I think Fellini did that too, but he, mm-hmm. I mean, he did exaggerate. A lot of the stuff, like, like you would sure, assume that he went to... I don't think David to... Lynch birthed a lizard monster. That no, so of course adorable. not, of course not. But he, I'm trying to think, I wrote, again, I wrote these things down and you're bringing up all the stuff that I can't remember. He, like, even with, like the film Amarcord, which mm-hmm. is basically... The phrase Amarcord means I remember. And there is a lot in there that you would think was from his childhood. But then, like, if you ask the people that he grew up with, they're like, well, he didn't grow up like that. Like, that's, <laughs> he didn't go to that kind of school. Like, <laughs> right. he didn't do those things. So, and it's the same with Eight and a Half. Like, there's a lot of imagery in there that it's kind of like he took what the typical Italian person went through, not necessarily him, but what you're familiar with, like the school uniform and all that kind of shit, which he didn't have. Like that was not something that he, he didn't go to Catholic school. I don't think that it's like the uniforms, you know what I mean? I think it's like, like the, the soul of it is about, it is rooted in him. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, even the premise of the film in general, and this is where I was going to go with the whole success of La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita was massive. It was huge. Mm -hmm. And it made a lot of motherfucking money. Yeah. And people seemed to really like it. The people liked it a lot. (laughs) 
Uh, and I do like it, but it, like I said, I didn't like it as much as this one. But of course, this one, if, if I had been alive, I would have loved La Dolce Vita. And then when Eight and a Half came along, I would have changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but which I think happened to a lot of people. But it, so the stress of having made this massively successful film, mm -hmm. not just in your own country, but like all over the world, everybody loved this goddamn film. So what do you do next? Right. What film do you make after that? It's the pressure and of an artist. He and, and he also artist. had this idea in his head that your I think I can't remember how many I think it's like what 10 years into your your directing career like you've already done everything that you could do as a director according to him. Yeah. So this was 10 years into his filmmaking and this was his eight and a half eight and a half I can't say that right. <laughs> His I, eight and a half th th film. That's not a way to say something, but he had made what? Seven and a half films previously. Right. So this was eight and a half, which is where the title comes from. But, um, so he kind of had this idea in his head that, well, this is it. Like, what am I going to do after this? nothing significant, nothing interesting, nothing good. <laughs> yeah. Because I've already done everything I could. And La Dolce Vita was huge. So what do you do? And then he basically had writer's block. And he was like, well, why don't I make a film about a writer who can't write? And, and then somebody suggested to him at some point, well, why don't you just make him a director? And he's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so basically... Most of eight and a half is just literally what happened at the time. It's like not during the during the making the of the fruition film. of the film. Yeah. Yes. So the actors were cast and brought to Italy that were just kind of sitting there, like, well, they didn't have do, real roles. We don't have like what what part am I playing? I don't know. Didn't somebody tell you? <laughs> no. <laughs> when there's a scene in the movie where. Uh, Guido, who is the star oh, Guido, of the film, yeah, uh, who Marcello Mastriani plays. Yeah, he's the director who we are currently discussing. Yes. Um, Sorry, I we didn't bring up any of that. No, so. that's fine. Uh, but he, um, he's like trying to impress a woman, and I can't remember which woman it was. Claudia. It might be Claudia, or Carla. No, Carla, no, Carlos probably is Claudia. mistress, I think. Yeah, he's probably trying to impress Claudia, but he turns to a gentleman that's working on a giant set. These people are building a massive set for Guido, yes. but Guido has, like, no oh, plans. Oh, I meant to, oh, yeah. God, I, I, that's an important thing, too. The, yeah. The structure mm -hmm. that they built, which was basically, it was on the It was on a the launch beach. pad. Well, in the... Yeah. premise of the fictional eight and a half it mm -hmm. was supposed to be the launch pad for like a giant rocket ship or something yeah but in reality it was uh it was scaffolding mm -hmm. that was you know but he just basically told them we'll just start building it. up yeah build up <laughs> and they just kept going and he just well make it higher and like he had no point he had no reason yeah. Literally. And it's just, it's, I mean, in the well, film. They, they mentioned that too in the in film. In the film, they had like, well, it's going to be a launch pad. But in reality, Fellini just had people do it. He was like, I don't know what it's for. Just 
going. I mean, he didn't tell anybody that, but right. But they they still they still brought brought that to light where they were like, "You just want it bigger? We could just make it bigger." But like, what else are we doing with it? Uh-huh. Is what is what people like <laughs> were asking. Yeah, just, just but yeah, going. but there was there was somebody on that set, and he turned to the guy and he asked him to tap dance for yeah, him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that that's very Fellini. Yeah, that's a Fellini thing. The guy was like, "What?" And he was like, "Tap dance, and I'll put you in my movie." Mm-hmm. And the guy starts tap dancing. He's like, "What part will I play?" And he's like, "Ah, like yeah. he, he had told wow. Claudia that it was a tap dancing sailor because he was trying to impress her." But like when the guy was there, he's like, "I don't know." But then I loved when he came back at the end. He was just like tap dancing. Like, what's my part? <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, Fellini was. When I mean, it sounds like Fellini was difficult. Would be difficult for me to be around. You probably wouldn't like it. It's very I chaotic. don't think I would chaos like all over the place. And I thrive in chaos, John. You, I just don't. Also, haven't seen a lot of his other films. I haven't seen any of his other films. Yeah. So, and he, I also wondered if I would if I would have liked this movie more if I did, so that I had like like well, a prequel to this film, like the big. The big movie before this, so I Little had, like, Tevita. So you would have had a like yeah. guideline because yeah. I think I think honestly, Little Tevita is kind of like a a build up for this, right? If that makes sense. I mean, well, all of his films ramp up to this, up to this point, and then after oh, this seven point, and a half of them, it yeah. gets super freaking weird and amazing, in my opinion, amazing, but. A lot of people's opinions, probably not. <laughs> but but I think I think he got better. Right. But I do think that this is one of his best. I think that this is one of the most beautifully photographed black and white films I've ever seen. It's very pretty. That it's very is pretty. non-negotiable to me. Like this is a beautiful film to watch. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't like the content, it is stunning to look at. It's beautiful. The music's really good too. And the well, Nino Rota. I mean, come on. Right. He's brilliant. And uh, Nino worked with, well, Nino was one of the other exceptions. Nino worked with him for mostly all of his films up until uh, orchestra rehearsal, I think, which was 79. And that's, uh, Nino died around that, like right after that. So he didn't continue with him. But mm-hmm. And all the films after that, like, oh, there was a great quote about Fellini. He said about Nino's passing it was beautiful I can't remember exactly well in a, a, and a ship sails on he he um named the ship I can't remember what it was it was N something and he said I never knew what the N stood for and then it finally dawned on me oh it's for Nino hmm. I was like oh, oh that's cute <laughs> just make me cry <laughs> um and of course I was I I have a book of the it's a Fellini lexicon mm-hmm and it has like you can look up alphabetically all the stuff. <laughs> I love it, but it sounds um, like a lot. It, like a, a, like it sounds like a massive. It's not actually not that big. I wish it was bigger. Oh, <laughs> to be honest, I really do. Because <laughs> every once in a while, I look up something and I'm like, oh, that's not in here. <laughs> um, but it was also it was the that book was written by the guy who did the I'm a Born Liar documentary. Um, anyway, so. Uh, this film was also um, the first of Fellini's films to be shot entirely on Ch- well, except for one scene. It was shot entirely at Chinachita Studios on sets built for the film. So all the sets were built for this movie. Yes. Incl- I mean, and if you see some of the sets in this film, it's like, what? 
<laughs> you built that for this. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's in there for two seconds and you built that for this. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's massive. I mean, Fellini films tend to do that anyway. Right. I would say Akira Kurosawa films do it more, <laughs> but he had impressed. I mean, half the time it's like cardboard, you know what I mean? Like it's, you right. see a gigantic building in the background and it's probably not a hundred percent real. It's just a, a facade made out of cardboard and scotch uh, tape or something. What did there was a, there was a line about that in the movie where like, they were like, we could have just done, we could have just painted this on canvas. And they're on, oh, and yeah. the other guy was like on canvas. <laughs> uh, this is not your grandfather's <laughs> production. <laughs> which is funny. Cause that makes me think of, um, gangs of New York, which was also filmed on Chin and Chino mm -hmm. studios. And, uh, the set for that is still there, by the way. The yeah, five points. You bring this up a lot. I do. I do. <laughs> um, and I I probably brought this exact same story up, but like George Lucas came yep. to visit the set and he looked at it and he's like, you know, you could have done this like with computers. Like you didn't need to build all this. And he's like, and that's the difference between me and you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Like it's, it's gangs of New York to me feels more exciting because it's tangible. You could actually go and visit those sets. Yeah. Like Fellini, you could actually go and visit. And half the time, just like gangs in New York, five points, all that shit's still there. Yeah. Like, Shinichiya Studios is still strewn with a bunch of Fellini shit. Like, that they just... And it's rotting. It's like, it looks well, yeah, horrible out in the field somewhere. Yeah, it's made of plywood. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you see his film, A Director's Notebook, which is actually usually paired with this uh, on the Criterion set, the DVD and the Blu-ray. both Paired with eight and a half? Yes, with eight and a half. Um, it's A Director's Notebook, and it's like a documentary he did for television about making films and it's fascinating. It's very good. But in it, they go and visit the set for a film that they actually didn't get to make, mm -hmm. which was one that he always wanted to make and never actually got to make. Um, which was the, I think it was the voyage of G M something. Is it a sci-fi movie? A name. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think it's just, I don't know. It's kind of like all these. It's just, it's just a film about Marcello Mastriani going around and, flirting with ladies i don't know yeah but <laughs> but they had built sets and everything and including a, a, a an airplane mm -hmm. and uh it's just all sitting out there in the field with weeds growing through it and dilapidating and he filmed on that dilapidating set like for the documentary and i thought that was kind of fascinating mm -hmm. anyway um so so yeah all of it was but i would okay going back to the beginning like so <laughs> i'm scattered there's a i mean the film John, is scattered ahead. it was actually originally going to be titled the beautiful confusion la belle confusion mm -hmm. and uh which meant the beautiful confusion because that's i would have liked that title better i wouldn't have i liked eight and a half I mean, I do love La Bella Confusion. I think that should be used for something. I think it should be a film about Fellini at some point. But that's just me. Um, you had, did you have notes about the beginning, the opening? I just really liked the beginning. Also, when I first started looking up this film, the beginning, like the opening scene was a lot, like was everywhere. Yeah. Like if I wanted to find. Well, I think Criterion posted it on their YouTube channel, the first. Three minutes. Three minutes or whatever it's called. Yeah. Because they do I, that a lot. Yeah, and then I liked that he sort of kept with the theme of not seeing his face. Oh yeah, not yeah, seeing yeah. Guido's face when you first. He's meet not him revealed in a, for a while. A dream. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Well, yeah, but like, all right. So the for those who haven't seen the film, the opening scene is a nightmare, like a genuine nightmare. This guy's stuck in traffic. He there's smoke filling up in his car, and he's like coughing and tr- banging on the window and trying to get out. And and traffic the, is the, creepy. The traffic is bumper to bumper, but totally still. And the people in the cars around him are totally still. Yeah, nobody's but moving. My Nothing's moving. My favorite part <clears throat> was that there was like um, like a bus full oh, with of the people, people with their arms and their arms, out? like yeah. they were just pressed against the wall and their arms were like kind of like dangling hang- out. Yeah. The and I really liked that. I was like, Ugh. yeah, the imagery in this film is gorgeous. Yeah. It's so crazy. But yeah, but he's like, you know, he's suffocating. Well, he's trying to get also, out, and no one's there to help him. It's very fascinating that Fellini starts this film with a dream sequence, mm-hmm. and he doesn't give you any dialogue, and he doesn't have any music. It's silent. Other like, than the it, baking and coughing. Well, up to at a certain yeah. point, that starts happening, but uh, it's a squirrel. A squirrel. <laughs> There's a squirrel on the porch. Um, but I just think that's fascinating. And then the, the um, when they he's flying and they rope mm-hmm. him and pull him down and then they show you like Guido falling, which is fucking creepy. And they use his crazy, ridiculous set that never got used for anything. Okay, right. I mean, that's where they filmed that from, yeah. which kind of makes sense in the long run. Like, hey, let's use this to create this crazy Guido falling out of the sky scene. Yeah, and it's very well done, and of course they don't show you they don't show him hitting the ground because Guido wakes up before that. Well, yeah, which is fantastic, but and you don't see his face until I want to say when he walks into the bathroom and looks in the mirror, and that's the first time you see his face. And of course he looks haggard. (laughs) He looks tired. Yeah, he's at like a like a spa. He's at a spa for his. His exhaustion. His exhaustion from yeah. He, he's at a he's at a yeah a creative or not spa. Filmmaking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he's supposed to take the treatment, which is like spring water. Like I think it's hot spring water too. Like it's. Oh it's, yeah, and then he had the fantasy of the young woman like mm-hmm. handing him like the water. But I was going to bring up one of my favorite moments. It's so fucking amazing. Is when. Guido goes into that bathroom. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's like it's like a weird bathroom to begin with. It's almost like right. he's walking up to a set built sink where there's other sinks in the gigantic restroom. But he's walking up to the fancy looking one. That's like, do you know what I mean? Like he's walking up to a specific one. Mm-hmm. He turns on a light and it's not illuminating very much of anything. And then Fellini turns on the lights. Like, as the filmmaker behind the camera, he turns on the studio lights. So then it's like, boom, like, light everywhere. And then you see how haggard Marcello Mastrano looks. Like, he just looks horrible. And then, of course, he starts, um, somebody starts buzzing his room or whatever, his phone or whatever it is. And he does that, like, weird, like, his bathrobe's half on and he kind of like, ugh, ugh, like, he's squatting down, like, in hatred of the fact that he has to do something yeah <laughs> like, like i have to like, answer oh, to people to answer somebody yeah uh and basically this whole movie is him trying to avoid answering any kind of question about anything yeah and that would be so frustrating yeah like that's not that's gross <laughs> <laughs> but i think i'm also thinking of like all of it together especially as a whole yeah yeah because he 
Like, I didn't find a lot of interest in the main character. I didn't like the main character. But he's not a likable main character. Not... Yeah, not really. No. He's just... And I I mean, I get it. I... And I think that's the differentiating fact between him and Fellini. Fellini is a very likable man. Everybody loved Fellini. Do you know what I mean? Like, everybody wanted to work for Fellini. Like, all those actors that were in the film that were just kind of on standby, that happened in real life. Like, if Fellini wanted you in a film, uh, yeah, I want to be in your fucking movie. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Where do you want me? Where should I be? Should I... Where am I? And they would just wait, basically, until he was ready. Well, that that was the thing with the guy in the movie. He wanted... He wanted people to wait, but he also wanted people... What I gathered was... And I think it was mostly the scene, the dream with the with the women. The harem. The harem? Is that what it's called? The, are oh, you talking about that? Um, Where they all live in the house together? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's after his fight with Claudia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he has a mistress, and his mistress comes and visits him. Which we should, like, we should mention probably... that. Like... The mister shows up first. Yes. And he actually kind of like when, when he, the train, the train um, mm-hmm. station is all fake. Beautiful. Beautiful set. Amazing. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> very church-like, which is crazy. Anyway. Um, oh, I also wanted to bring up at that moment in the train station, he's reading the notes of criticism from uh, a critic. From a critic, yeah, who blasted him. He was like, you're him. uninteresting. You're not interesting. <laughs> and, uh. Which Fellini did ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, all the critiques in the film that he reads are ones that he created himself about the film that he was making so that well, he yeah. would preemptively... That felt obvious. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> well, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to crumple that shit up and throw it on the ground. And <laughs> Which he did. But then the fascinating part was he goes and picks it up again. He's like, well... God dang it, I have to keep those. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's almost like you, you, you can't help it. And as an artist, that makes sense to me. Like, right. yeah, I don't want to hear it, but yeah, I need to hear it. Like, <laughs> what? What is it you didn't like? <laughs> can yeah. I fix it? What can I do next? <laughs> that kind of thing. Like, it's it, that's an artist. That's what we do. But, uh, so Claudia, wait a minute. Is that her name? Claudia? No. What's Carla the, is the Carla mistress. Carla is the mistress. There's so many women. <laughs> There's too many So women. she shows up. She looks ridiculous. Um, and <laughs> Beautiful, but ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's gorgeous. That woman is amazing. But uh, And she does a brilliant job as the mistress, too, the actress. Which What's the actress's name? Uh, Sandra Milo. There you go. Uh, or Milo. Yeah, I think it's Milo. Probably. But she shows up, and at one point, he didn't see her come off the train. And he was kind of relieved. He was like, oh, thank goodness she didn't show up. And then, yeah. lo and behold, she was got off the other side of the train. She's like, ah, oh, shit. Oh, she's here. <laughs> well, yeah. That <laughs> Let me take it to the place. Because he has to, like, now hold himself accountable for yeah. an interaction. Exactly. So he she shows up first, the mistress or whatever. And then later, he invites his wife out to this spa mm-hmm. to, like, be there. And, you know, of course, she's on the phone with him. She's like, well, do you really want me out there? He's like, I wouldn't have asked if I didn't want you out here. So yeah. she shows up with her entourage of people, including her sister. And, or maybe it's his sister. I never quite got that right. It might be, it might be Guido's sister, older sister. It is. 
It is. It's his older sister. Because she has, um, she's like a medium. So she can talk to spirits. Yeah. And he, I can't remember, there was somebody that mentioned that they both kind of have the same quality about them, but he uses his differently than she does. Like, she talks to spirits, like, in a medium kind of way, and Guido talks to them kind of in a more... in fantasy? Yeah, like, he he brings them up when he needs them to... Spirits of his past, though, not actual spirits. Like, he's bringing up all these ghosts from his past that he doesn't necessarily want to deal with, but he's going to present them to you anyway. And that's another thing I want to talk about, was the dream sequences are never... Like, it's not like, oh, we're going into a dream sequence. Like, Scooby-Doo, like, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. You just kind of, like, you're just just in one all of a sudden. He doesn't give you any kind of indication that you're going to be in one. Well, other than Guido's face not being shown and everyone yelling Guido. (laughs) Guido, Guido. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many scenes where he's a child and people are like, Guido, Guido, Guido. And I'm like... And you're never sure which one's Guido. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, it's the one with the eyes covered up, maybe? Where are you at? Where are you at? Which one is it? Yeah, with the hat Uh. pulled down to his nose. (laughs) But, and it's interesting that one of the first sequences, the dream sequence, the, um, wait a minute, I'm trying to think. Because it's the film is it's weird because it's it's structured well, but then looking back on it, it's hard to structure it. Does that make sense? I feel like it's the same as Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is like I don't know how Terry Gilliam made that into a coherent film for him to assemble. Like every time I see that, I'm like, I don't know how you did this. I'm glad you did. But wait, <laughs> but what I dream sequence are you talking about? Uh, the Ananisi Maza. I'm trying to figure. Is that the first one? Or well, is that well, later? that's so the the that's with the medium that's at the dinner that's before he calls his wife and invites her. Yes. So, um, but when is the one where he's like lowering his dad into a hole? Is that before all that? In the for the funeral. Kind of. It's before he gets on the elevator with the cardinal because the door is the same there as it is on the elevator is it not god i can't think of how this is. this is what i'm saying it's it's very it's chaos who knows what's happening at one point no. but <laughs> but he no, has, a, he he, has the, the... there's there's a there's a funeral is it not right after that like after the ananisi masa and maybe then... it's part of that maybe it's the end of it maybe i can't remember no because his mom is his mom is wiping, and that's when he goes into the sequence. She's like, like, mm-hmm. kind of imaginary cleaning, and that goes in. And that's when he's with the mistress. Keep going though; it doesn't matter. Anyway, it does. I guess it doesn't matter. But Ananisi Maza was. Um, I love that he shows you kind of like his idea of what his childhood was like. So he gives you like big weird spaces, like there's a woman that's cleaning and doing laundry and doing things just housekeeping kind of shit and this is important for later but he so he shows you all that he shows you what domestic life was like for this character yeah and he you was see, constantly like, praised and dotted bath. upon yeah yeah <laughs> and they loved him of course everybody loves yeah and that's what like he he strives for yes and so you see, anyway, so you see all that, and then the Ananisi Maza was actually, um, it's kind of like a sort of pig Latin-ish kind of thing. 
-hmm. It's like a childhood thing. And they would extend the letters of words. And I believe it was, I wrote it down here. So, Ani-ma. So, Ana-nizi-maza. And Ani-ma means soul in Italian. Is this where he got his super medium powers? Yes. But (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting because the girl in the sequence Mm -hmm. that, like, tells him what Ananisi-maza is. It's like the spirits come, the painting comes alive at night and you have to say the the eyes will move. Yeah. And uh, in the, when he was filming it, he had the girl indicate several different things in the room because he didn't know what it was going to be. Oh my goodness. So, and then eventually he was like, I'll just make it the portrait and I'll say that it'll come alive or whatever. And if you don't say the magic word. So he didn't even know what was going to happen. Right. Like, and this is a typical thing of Fellini. He didn't really have a script. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it also helps him out that Italian films, especially at the time, uh, they were filmed without audio because, how do I explain this? So Chinachita Studios or I think most Italian cinemas were built for large silent films. Right. Like they were huge. I mean, they made some amazing stuff. If you haven't seen any old Italian silent films, you should. I mean, Kabiri is one, and it's absolutely stunning. Uh, in fact, Chinachita Studios theme park, mm-hmm. <laughs> which there is one, and I do need to go to it. Uh, the entrance is actually from Kabiria, the silent film Kabiria. It's massive. It's huge. It's crazy. Anyway, not point. So... Uh, they didn't, when they started making sound films, they didn't, they were like, well, we already invested all this money in these n- not soundproofed studios. So just fucking deal with it and you'll have to do all your sound post-production. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so they would record the film silently and then record the audio yes. later. They dub it. They dub it. And mm-hmm. this is across the board. It doesn't yeah. matter if there, it's There whatever. was an actress in this film that I think... This was her first time recording her own her voice. Her own voice, yes. I can't and remember that who was, it was. And that was, it uh, was, I wrote it down. I was going to bring that up. It was uh, Claudia Cardinal. Oh, so it was Claudia. It was Claudia. Yeah, because she had um, a French accent She Well, she was. She Which was is why nobody Portuguese gave. Okay. And French. Like, she had a weird upbringing, so she had a very strange accent. Yeah, and people were like, we and don't people like were that. Like, I don't like that. And she also had a very deep voice. Like, she has a grovelly kind of, mm-hmm. it's a gorgeous voice. I don't know why people didn't like it. But I mean, I know why people didn't like it, but because of bullshit. Yeah. yeah. But she was so fucking gorgeous that they wanted, they wanted her to sound a certain way. But she didn't sound that way. And I think she, her voice is amazing. I think it's beautiful. Thank goodness you got to use it. I mean, it's not like those, like, what was it, uh, Singing in the Rain, where, like, the girl had the most obnoxious voice ever. It's like, <laughs> like, yeah, we don't need to hear that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which is why Debbie Reynolds was cast to do her voice. That's a plot of another movie. But <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> back to this one. So all the Fellini films were done this way. Uh, even back, I mean, even later in life when well, he yeah. probably could have just recorded it. No, nah, he he's, he's not anyway. a man he's, that likes change very gonna, much. I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And if you watch all of his films like I have, and I do, he has very specific voices that go with very specific characters. Like he'll have the same kind of characters reoccurring in all of his films. 
and it's very noticeable, especially when you hear the voice of it. Does that make sense? So a certain looking character will have the same voice in all of his movies. Right. So he has like, you know, specific characters. It's kind of hard to kind of explain. No, I get it. Like, um, I don't know. Like, like like dainty women will always be high pitched. Kind of like there's that old lady that's kind of hunched over. Like, yeah, they always have the same kind of thing. Yeah. So his characters are characters. Yeah. His characters are characters, but he also didn't write a lot of dialogue. So, I mean, he did, but he didn't. But he, um, like, for this film, he didn't really have a script. So half the time, they were just saying whatever. Like, yeah. just say something, and I'll just fix it later. Like, I'll, I'll have lines for you when I feel like it. Yeah. And uh, Casanova was one that was like that, where, like, Donald Sutherland, they didn't have a script. And it took a lot of convincing for Donald Sutherland to actually do the film, because he's like, well... You don't even have a script. What am I supposed to do? And like, so half the time, like Donald Sutherland would just count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and they would just replace it with something later. And it's funny because if you know that and then you watch the movie, you're just watching, you can and watch yeah. and count. It's hysterical. I love it. But, um, and Marcello Mastriani was kind of the same. Like, it took it, like, for Little Chavita, it took a lot of convincing to get him to do it because he didn't really have a script. Yeah, well, that's also kind of risky because they could just put anything over it and now you're associated with something that you might not want to be associated well, with. sort of. Sort of. Like I mean, maybe, with Fellini, maybe... Marcello Mastroianni did do his own dubbing, so right. he was going to know what he was going to say in the end. But could you imagine maybe not agreeing with it and then getting separated from the film, already having your part recorded, like... Your the picture recorded and somebody recording something over you and then now oh, you're I mean, yeah. now you're banned from the Vatican. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you have no yeah. idea. And Fellini is a loose cannon. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I mean, just like in general. So like, there's like a risk in that with that in general, not just like with Fellini. Yeah. You know, like it's just something that they don't. It's a risk. Yeah. I mean, actually, side note here. Mm-hmm. Uh, commentaries you know how they have like the warning before films it's not like associated the, not associated like yeah the expression uh, what is it the opinions and something expressed mm-hmm. by the filmmakers in or, the commentaries are yeah. not necessarily that of universal, universal studios, studios or whatever it is yeah and do you know why those happened i imagine somebody Ooh, got hit, fun. <laughs> hit it real was hard. Uh, criterion mm. and it was the james bond films like dr no and to rush with love i think the first two or three and they had the filmmakers come in and do commentaries for them and the filmmakers hated their movies right (laughs) they were like these are embarrassing and they trashed them through the whole commentary and that's why there's a a thing that's saying like i don't necessarily agree with the views of (laughs) because and those are out of print like you can't get those in there was laser disc days yeah um which i'm actually excited because the criterion collection uh the criterion uh, channel Mm-hmm. when they have the rights to stream something, if they have done a commentary for it in the past for like LaserDisc, they can put it on there. So I'm so excited. I'm like, I hope they do those at some point. So I can, I actually have the audios for those. I downloaded them. <laughs> yeah. You can just play them while you, you play, just them. play them. Yeah. But, um, but it would just be fun if they posted them. So other people yeah. do that. Uh, cause they actually did Jason, the Argonauts. And I just listened to that. I actually got Criterion Channel specifically for this film 
with a commentary so I can yeah, listen to you it told at me work. Because <laughs> I was like, I want to make sure I have good notes, which I forgot today. Uh, but I watched it at works with commentary so I could just listen to it because I don't have to. Something like this. I don't have to see it. I know exactly what they're talking about. Right. I've seen it a lot. <laughs> so didn't need to look at the screen at all. Um, and But Jason the Argonauts. And I've realized I can do this at work now. So I'm like, ooh, this is exciting. I can watch commentaries at work. <laughs> well, listen to commentaries at right. work. For films that I know very well. Films that you've yeah. seen. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, if I don't know it very well, I'm not going to sit there and listen to it. Because I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what? But uh, anyway, not the point. So... Uh, we were talking about the dream sequence. I think we talked about on an easy Maza. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. I'm trying to go back here. I think I was talking about the, the sequence with the women. Oh yes. Well, that comes a little bit later. Right. I was trying to go by your beats. <laughs> I didn't give any beats. Dog. I know, but I, I have them. <laughs> now so. you have them. <laughs> Uh, yeah. da, 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 da. I already talked you about You want to know that. what I wrote for my description of the movie or like the, the synopsis? I'll tell you. Yeah. Writer's block on sci fi film. Gets blasted by critic. Brings mistress to visit. Uh, after fantasy? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I couldn't remember. Uh, production moves to hotel uh, to push Guido. Uh, Guido pushes deeper into fantasy, memory, and avoidance. Struggles with honesty, screen test roles of sentiment. Ooh, yeah, the screen Claudia test. leaves him. Guido can't do anything without people. That's true. But he doesn't really want to. <laughs> He's like <Right>. me. <laughs> right. That was like the whole like line at the end, though. Like, ah, oh, you couldn't have done it without the people in your life or something. Yes. And I'm like, boy, you weren't doing it anyway. You All these people anyway, were surrounding yeah. you. I, I, I can yeah. feel his pain though. I feel his pain. I mean, I get I get the pain like of like the pressure, the anxiety, depression, ennui. Like I yeah, yeah, I yeah. get all that. Yeah. yeah. Ennui. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, whenever I think of the Somebody... word ennui, I think of um I Zombie when she's like when they're like, oh, you've like changed. And she's like, I, it's been more than changed. Like, what did she say? She has zombie ennui. <laughs> the ennui, that was brought up in the commentary for this. Yeah. That word. And I was like, oh, these pretentious bitches. And you just it's, use it's, the word. It's, like, it's the truth. Oh, no. Word. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. I was thinking, oh, God. <laughs> it is, it is ennui to a fault. <laughs> he's, um, like, he's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> throughout the film. <laughs> um, so, Saragina. We have to bring up Saragina. Love her. Saragina, Saragina, la rumba, la rumba. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite scene in the whole film. It's I love it so much. And what I assumed I post was... I all the time on my social media. Guido's first um, sexual... Awakening or... Yeah. Or, yeah. And it's kind of like, it's like if, if Milk Money was condensed down into a five-minute sequence in a movie, <laughs> <laughs> that's what this would be. Yeah. Because Milk Money, it, have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. With uh, Melanie Griffith. Basically, a whole bunch of boys gather their woman money to dance. together to, well, they hired, I think they ended up hiring her to sleep with their dad or something. But they wanted to see her boobs. Oh, wait, that sounds very familiar. It was a very good movie. Um, 
I liked that movie a lot. I think Ed Harrison played the dad. I think he was the love interest. Anyway, not the point. But basically, they all get their money together and they pay this prostitute down by the water to dance for them mm-hmm. and to show them flesh. They he doesn't go that far in this particular film, but that is what they wanted. They wanted to see her boobs. Yeah, stuff. they well they asked her to do the rumba. <clears throat> yes, Sergina, Sergina, la rumba, la rumba. Uh, <laughs> they hand her the money. Yeah, and she, she does showed... her little rumba. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It was it was a lot. She, there was a do, lot of do, sand to be kicked up. And that's the song we were uh, we were humming. That's in what the we did at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite song of the film too, Same. which is funny because it's not on the soundtrack. So I Shame. told you I bootlegged it and put it <laughs> and put it into my own copy of the soundtrack. Uh, so this is a real story. Like this is an actual Fellini childhood memory. Not he, surprised. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, like I said, there's a lot of fake ones. So when you get a real I, one, you're really... I think and they're I think it's all funny. rooted in truth. I think the funny part is, is like the one that is actually 100% real is my favorite. <laughs> of course it is. Um, but it, she was a, a prostitute named Saragina and uh, she would sell herself to the fishermen of the, uh, of the area for the dregs of their sardine nets. And sardine in that area of Italy is Saragina. Which is why she has that name. Oh. So, she worked for fish, girl. <laughs> they gave her coin. No, she uh, would work for... No, oh, yeah. I see. No, that's how... That's She got paid... In fish. In fish, yes. yeah. I mean, she had to eat. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she fish. got paid by other gentlemen, but that was her main source of prostitution, was the fishermen to get the fish. Anyway, so... Um, I also want to say like Fellini loved to use music on the set and then it would be replaced later. And this particular one was a Cuban rumba mm-hmm. that he had. And then Nino Rota wrote his version of it. And it kind of has the same feel to it right. as the, the one that they use on set. But, um, but yeah, he wrote his own and that's the one that you have in the film. Fellini did that. He loved pop music too. So a lot of sequences in other films, excuse me, where they're dancing and stuff would have been like some pop tune of the, of the time. Uh, excuse me, I'm burping. Disgusting. It's fantastic. So I can move on now. (laughs) (laughs) I already brought up I'm a born liar. I'm going through my notes. Uh, so the harem scene. Now we can get to the harem scene. (laughs) What is what is that note? The women, the steward. Oh yeah, well, well the women in the the sequence. But, oh my! Come here. My hey, goodness! Don't be that way. He I know. doesn't like it's the harem a... sequence. No, he's like it's very chauvinistic. He's, yeah, he's an activist. This is women Cute. being exploited for the whatever. Hey. We agree. We know. Come here. We what are you know. doing? Come here. I know, oh, I see. see. Don't don't raise your voice to me. Hey. Bud. Oh. Right here. Come here. I know. It's really scary. But come here real quick. Are you limping? Come here. Just trying to figure <laughs> out how to come over here. here without crossing your path. Oh, you can cross my path. Come here, bud. Come here, Chewie. Come here. Come here. 
There you go. Cutie little boo-boos. There you go. See, here you are. There you, you go. feel better? Come here. There you go. Is that better? <laughs> oh, you're so cute. So, <laughs> so the harem sequence. <laughs> I, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, the harem sequence. Well, I... What was I... I can't remember what I was saying in the beginning about the harem sequence. Well, it was a. It was about Guido. As, as a director, as a person, he wanted very much to control the women. Well, he wanted to control everything he wanted to direct the world, the around, world him. around him yeah but it which is, is in reality what fellini ended up basically doing like fellini was able to direct how his life was around him which i think a lot of people in general like celebrity people do mm -hmm. they do that i mean prince did that when houston did that madonna continues to do that <laughs> like Right. You have your own bubble that you live in and you directed how you want it to be done. Right. But the movie is him. It's, it's not working out for him. No. For, especially for the women in his life. For uh, his, really his mistress, about the women. His, yeah. um, his wife, you know, is like, uh, his wife's upset about his mistress, which yes. was three years ago when he insists is over. But <laughs> his mistress not true, but... came from Rome. To and see she's him. just randomly there. Yeah. yeah. What a coincidence. Yeah. And he was <laughs> like, oh, I remember the world. It. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so in the dream sequence, he's living in a home. These women are praising him, much like in the in the earlier ones when he's a child. Yes. The women are In fact, it's are the cleaning. Yeah. So, Donna Mizimasa and the grapes. Mm hmm. And the grape yeah, yeah, the grapes. That was that was after yeah or wine bath. It's a wine bath. I'm sorry, that's what it was. Yeah, they they, they gave him drink a wine it, bath, you? which I don't understand quite. I don't honestly. know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a thing. It, it's, maybe it's just Italian. <laughs> Possibly is. I feel like that's a waste of wine, but whatever. It's fine. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they just had the kids press the wine. With their feet. I don't know. I, I honestly never really looked into that. I mean, yeah. it's, who knows? It's a Fellini fantasy, so who knows what it is? Same, but yeah. So in the in the dream sequence when he's a when he's a child at this catholic place like people are like guido 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 and they're loving him and like the women like he's like the favorite mm -hmm. of like the women and like he gets like tucked in while the others are like you know, they're like quiet down deal with it yourself Tuck yeah. your own self in. yeah and his mother's cleaning up around him and like he's just doted upon and now he has these women that are like no. And he was like, oh, but baby, I love you. You're the only one in my life. And they're like, no, I'd rather, like, aren't I alone already? You know? Mm hmm When she wants to get separated. But yeah, and so in this dream sequence, it's like it's all, his all of that, all of his. of what <laughs> yeah. he would like. But at the same time, it's not, it's not a very logical well, fantasy. well, no, and yeah, he and knows then, that. I'm, he is aware that, yeah, this would never. Right, work. and being aware is different from 
uh, being active. About it's it, also you know? interesting because it's it's knowing you're a piece of shit doesn't make you not a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he kind of <laughs> I chew it chew it he really doesn't like this harem sequence <laughs> uh, so I did think it was interesting that, that Fellini went there with this I don't know it was it's interesting because this is kind of like the typical Italian well it's also the impression you get from italian men in general is that they like to have a lot of women they like to have their wife at home that's going to cook yeah. and clean for them and do all that but they can also have their extramarital affairs or whatever the the thing that i didn't know how it related to the film and maybe there was like a line i missed chewy chewy He's so funny. Oh my goodness. Chewy. What? Who's out there? Do you want to sit up here with us? I bet it's the mailman. If there was like, if there were steps up to the window, he'd be looking out that window. Oh. He'd be like, who was there? <laughs> Come here. It's okay. So, so the part I didn't understand, then maybe I missed it, was what was significant about the age of 26? Oh, I don't know. I think... Because that know. scene was long. It was <laughs> like, a very long sequence, It was yeah. a very... I honestly, I love that sequence. I mean, I love and... I mean, I understand how it could be troubling to people, especially nowadays. <laughs> but, but it's also... In retrospect, mm -hmm. I don't think it's as bad as it could have been. Does that make sense? Like, I think out of all the chauvinistic, <laughs> like, male fantasies out there, mm -hmm. it's actually not that bad. Like, in a, in a way. I mean, obviously. But that's the whole yeah. point of the sequence in general, is that it's not supposed so, to be okay. So, no, it's supposed I, and to I, be... under, I understand that. So the sequence that we're talking about, for those who haven't seen the film because we haven't quite described this yet. It's a house full of women and they're all beautiful, loving him. Sure, sure, sure. Like his wife, Claudia, who had just criticized him was cleaning the house. Oh, like yeah, his she's mother. Very happy yeah, to she be was, there. She wants yeah. to have, make sure he's happy. Yeah. Yeah. And he then gifts for everybody. A woman I did not recognize, uh, came out and was yelling about how her birthday just came and she's begging Guido for an extension and she's begging the women around him to beg Guido for an extension for just another year because now she's 26 and she doesn't want to go upstairs. Yeah. And, but Guido's like, dims the rules. That's how that house works. You yeah. gotta go upstairs, which yeah. is an Italian thing, honestly. Mm -hmm. If like we, we this is where the we elders live. This in, with Moonstruck. Yeah, that was is that, like the the higher in the house you are, the older you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Guido ain't no twenty six. No, in fact, I think when I watched Moonstruck, I already knew about that because of this. I was like, oh well, all the old people go upstairs, of course. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> That's what happens when you 
start to get a certain yeah. age. Um, but, and the, the woman in question is a showgirl. Yes. And she does this, oh my God, it's fantastic. Her she, final dance. She does her and final dance. And then nobody's watching. And, oh. and she starts crying and her beads fall and mm-hmm. she's having, a, I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it's just sad. It's, it's very so sad. sad. And then they all kind of freak out. They're like, no, she shouldn't have to go upstairs. Nobody should have to go upstairs. And they all freak yeah, out. Yeah, and they all turn on him. And then he whips them back into shape, literally. Literally yeah, like Indiana shape. Jones yeah. grabs like a big old whip, whips mm-hmm. him back into shape, and then he's the Makes king him. of the house again. Yeah, they've all fallen back in line. He just needed to tighten his grip. And then you you end that sequence on his wife, kind mm-hmm. of cleaning up in the corner and just having a monologue to herself about making sure Guido's happy and, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. how you know she understands his weird ways and. All that kind of shit, which mm-hmm. in, which is his fantasy. This is what he would like for his wife to understand. Yeah, and that he that he she's needs not all going these. to because yeah. that's not the reality, Guido. You can't have that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. I mean, maybe it does somewhere, but that's probably a cult, and it's you should not be in it. <laughs> and you certainly shouldn't be the leader of it. Uh, <laughs> gross. But it is fascinating, though. It's very interesting. I love it. And I, filmmaking wise, I think it's beautiful. I, it's one of I the, mean, I would agree that it's this one of the more exciting very... photographed sequences because yeah. the camera moves a lot more. There's a lot more movement in the whole, you know what I mean? Like there's just a lot more going on in the sequence. Um, and you get to see all the women and they all have the little themes tunes pop up when they're there. And like Sergei, yeah, they, she has her. they all have their, they all have their themes. They all have their costumes. They're all, they're all in a particular costume. Like even the stewardess. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and the, the stewardess, stewardess I voice. wrote my note yeah. because it, it was, I think he even mentions it in the sequence, like that voice. Yeah. And like that's he, the, that's he the thing. found He's her desirable because of her, her voice. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, and even early on in the, the sequence, cause we didn't talk about that either. Cause like I said, this movie is very hard to navigate if it's not playing in front of you. Like I forget sequences, and like I said, when I rewatch them, I'm like, "Oh yeah, this part I forgot about this." Yeah. Well, uh, the steam bath. When he went to the steam bath, there was a woman that came over the intercom to say, "Like Guido, you are needed in the blah blah blah." Yeah. And he's and like locked in my fantasy. Yeah, like there yeah. she is. I'm gonna put her in my harem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like men do this kind of thing. This is a real thing. Like I don't know <laughs> if women do it the same way, but men do this. Like, you'll see some, not necessarily like you, you're not going to have the affair. Is this the actual spank bank? Is that this what, is, is that bank. what we saw? We saw what That's a spank exactly bank looks what like. This is. And, and it's very honest because it's true. And I think in the, I think in the commentaries, like they, they question, like, I don't know if this is like, maybe it wasn't the comment. I can't remember what it was, but in, cause I was thinking like, all men do this. It's not just straight men. Like gay men do this <laughs> a lot. I do it all the time. Like, if I find somebody particularly attractive or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going in there. <laughs> I'm going to bring those up later. Right. I'm going to be like, ooh, that man. That man right there, that voice, <laughs> that hair, that whatever. Yeah, I'm going to think about that later. 100%. Mm-hmm. I actually do that. I mean, I can't speak for all women. I don't think I have a harem in my head. But I'm not saying that women don't. Yeah, I no. mean, I, I couldn't say. My, I couldn't say. I, it's all very fleeting. I'm like, okay, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
And I mean, <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I, I mean, I'm not saying I can't, like I mean, Miley's it's not like I right or wrong them in the way that is presented there. Like, I mean, a stewardess that I would have heard at some, you know, I would have used it that day. I, <laughs> I would I have made a withdrawal. <laughs> I, I don't think I necessarily would have kept it. For, I mean, unless it was very memorable in some and ridiculous You know, way. sometimes some people... Like Gael Garcia Bernal. Like, <laughs> that's a fantasy that I have that reoccurs all the time. <laughs> but that's also an actor, so that's difficult to... I mean, I don't know. I guess that doesn't... That's not a good example, but... Yeah. I'm trying to think. I can't think of one that I've just randomly encountered once and brought up many times i don't know i don't think that's happened no but i'm sure it has happened <clears throat> i'm sure to it other has people. yeah for maybe. sure um i guess if they're particularly memorable then yeah i guess you would but anyway whatever so but i love that that it's a collection of just all of all men. types yeah. of women even even women he found to be exotic exactly like the black girl <laughs> yeah i loved her dance though she was i loved her like she was also from Hawaii. She and then so yes. she had the little little kicks to her dance. <laughs> so um, mm -hmm. speaking of the women, go ahead. Uh, so I already, we already brought up Claudia and how she got to use her real voice. Yeah, I want to talk about Anouk. Anouk, uh, Amy. Amy. Anouk Amy. Amy? Lu Louisa. They pronounced Louisa. Her, yeah, Louisa, his wife. Uh, they pronounced her name beautifully on the commentary track, and I was like, oh, that's how you say. It. Amy? I don't know. I, I assume. Amy? Amy? Anukami? Anukami. I think, I think it's something like that. It rolls really easy, however you say it. Anukami. Anukami. Uh, look at me. <laughs> uh, look at me. She hated the way she looked in this movie. Hated With her it. With her hair? freckles and her short cropped hair and her glasses <laughs> and she was like i just look horrible and because she's well a very attractive woman i mean she and i assume guido honest, wasn't supposed to be attracted to her i think as much as he would be attracted to claudia or yeah um or his mistress carl i was gonna carla, say clara yeah. carla yeah i think she was supposed well and this is the thing i find hysterical is that she is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. His wife is gorgeous. But Fellini didn't make her look but domesticated. He, I mean, I get, I get, I get it, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I don't get it. And I also think it's interesting that in, in like nowadays, she would be considered super attractive to most male population these days, I think. Yeah, Hipsters absolutely. Especially hipsters would fucking die for this woman. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be lining up. Who's saying the block. they don't? They probably do. No. Hipsters probably have posters that were off their walls. <laughs> Vintage <Probably>. posters. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Found in a, a sweatshop somewhere in the mm -hmm. I don't know, Himalayas. Uh, <laughs> Why would it be I there? I don't know. I'm just coming up with something ridiculous because that's pink what they salt. would do. <laughs> Exactly. They found it wrapped around some pink salt. It's preserved by the, the great pink salt <laughs> of the Himalayans. Oh, these hipsters. So, but she, in real life, she actually did need glasses, mm -hmm. but she wouldn't wear them for films. Of course. Because she didn't want to look ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of like. That's what it does. It's kind of like Charlotte. But then she wouldn't have her big reveal. It's like Charlotte from um, Sex and the Sex City. Sex and the City, where. <laughs> 
Like there's a sequence where like this guy starts kissing her and she's like, but I'm wearing my glasses. Because like, <laughs> she just thinks she's so unattractive with her glasses on. I was like, um, you know, that's not true. That's like, what society taught us. I know. I think that's wrong. Because I think glasses look pretty attractive on people. I don't understand why people don't like them. You know, Lisa Loeb wears glasses because she's allergic to contacts. What a fun fact. Yeah. That's why she's always had her signature glasses. Anyway. So so many facts about Lisa Loeb. But yeah, but he he put the freckles on her and Mm -hmm. highlighted them more. I think she actually might have had freckles, but he put more on her. And she was mad about it. She was mad about it. Yeah, she was mad that he made it She was just like, I don't look good in this movie. You're an asshole. You're making me look like shit. Mm -hmm. Which, truthfully, no, he didn't. But, you know, that's just your thinking. You're allowed to feel that way. Yeah. But I think you look attractive. And to this day, she's gorgeous. I think she's still alive. Uh, she's still a gorgeous woman. She was alive at the time of the recording of the commentary for this. Who would knew? I think she might still be alive. Actually, look, I could probably click on it right now. You could probably click on it. She is still alive, yes. Hmm. She's 87 years old. Oh, look at you go, girl. You go, girl. You get yours. She is still active. She is still working it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyway, so, uh, yeah, so that was her. Um, Now, I also wanted to bring up a couple of things before we get to the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, Juliet of the Spirits, which is the film he did after this, which was his first color film. And it's interesting because if you know Fellini and you know his wife, Julieta Messina, you're... I don't know them. She is spectacular. Mm -hmm. I brought that up earlier. I love her. Right. Um, she was in a lot of his films early on. She's a main character in La Strada and in Knights of Iberia. And she she wasn't in his films. She wasn't in Little Chivita. She wasn't in Eight and a Half, obviously. And then he brought her back for Juliet of the Spirits. And it was kind of weird because if you look at the way he presents his life in Eight and a Half, well, quote unquote, his life. Because mm-hmm. it's not technically him, but you see what kind of woman he's presenting as his wife and his attitude towards her. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, well, is this real? I mean, it isn't. Because if you know, like I said, if you know them very well, you know that he loved his wife tremendously. Like they were inseparable. They were always together and loved her. Maybe they had an open marriage. They could have. I don't know. I that's the whole thing. I'm not really sure about all that. So I don't know. I mean, right. there were a lot of rumors that he had affairs with specific women. In fact, I think one of them is in this movie. I know Uh-oh. she is, is probably, it I think it, I, I is can't it remember the, if it was is it her. the mistress? I can't remember if it was her or if it was the woman that played Claudia. No, it wasn't her because she was in, she was also in Juliet and spirits, whoever okay. it was. So it's either the mistress or it was the mysterious woman, which we haven't brought up yet. Uh, the mysterious woman was uh, Katerina Borato, which she... I didn't even write down her name. She was, um, like, if you watch the way he presents her in Eight and a Half, she's very mysterious, but she's, like, whenever whenever she shows up and walks across the set right. randomly, like, everything stops and you kind of watch her. Mm. She's gorgeous. And she's actually, if you were an Italian at the time, you would have known her because she was 
previously very famous as a model, I believe. Okay. And so when you see her presented, you're like, oh, look who Fellini brought into the film. Ooh, that's a flash. But you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's a throwback that they would have been aware of, but we necessarily might not. But the way he presents her, it's very, you know what I mean? Like you notice her. She's yes. gorgeous. And, she, and then she's also the face of the Virgin Mary in somewhere one of the statues she's the same face as it's her face so he kind of brings her up and she's kind of like this ideal of his that like this ideal woman that he can't quite obtain obtain yeah like she's up there so she's a stratosphere woman like that's the kind of woman I wish that I could have, but I could probably never have because I. But also after he, I can't after he had her, he wouldn't correctly because I'm such an asshole. So, like, <laughs> yeah. so, it, but it, the the interesting thing to me uh, was when he did Juliet of the Spirits. It, it's a beautiful companion piece to this film because in this film you're seeing the director and his life. In Juliet of the Spirits, you're seeing Fellini's imagination of what his life or his wife's life is like when he's not there. Does that make sense? So you're seeing the opposite side of it. Right. So you're seeing like the director comes in and out of, of the film, Juliet of Spirits. And he is a filmmaker as far as I can tell. I don't think they explicitly say what his job is, but I believe it's a filmmaker. And he's actually played by uh, Mario Pizu, who is Metsubotza in this film. So, and then Cla- uh, Juliet's mother is played by uh, Ka- uh, Katrina Barato. So you're seeing a lot of the same faces show up in Juliet of Spirits, but in a, a weird, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like the responsibility of Guido's brain in Eight and a Half is dictated by the reality of what it is in Juliet of the Spirits. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the mother tromping through the scenes and kind of like having this awe, respect for her. It's almost like, because there is that pause. Like whenever she walks into the the film, there is that moment of, oh, look at her. Right. And I have to behave all of a sudden. So it's kind of interesting that she'd be cast as Juliet's mother in the next film because it's kind of like, well, I got to behave in front of my wife's mother. Does that make sense? Sure. And then, like I said, when he has the the other character from this film playing her husband in the next film, mm-hmm. which it was supposed to be Marcello Mastroianni, but he was unavailable. So he just picked the next guy. It <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks similar. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, but I always thought that the two were a fascinating, like, they almost feel like they're two halves of the same story. Okay. Because you get her half you get his half but then you also get with Juliet of Spirits and it's amazing that his wife even agreed to do it because it's kind of like so this is what you think my life is like <laughs> what this yeah. is not what is happening when you're not around but it looks good <laughs> it's gorgeously photographed in technicolor and everything's fake it's all plastic <laughs> literally plastic's expensive and it was it was actually well, I would uh, assume it was financed by nylon. Cardboard. So. <laughs> okay. So it actually was artificial. Uh, anyway, not the point. So I wanted to bring that up because I feel like it is uh, like if you're go- and that's my pairing, by the way, for the end of this 
is like if you liked this you should definitely watch Juliet of Spirits because I think they pair well together okay um anyway so then those are my points for that I wanted to bring up the fact that Nine the musical is based on this yes sort of <laughs> the musical for the stage is a lot more about Fellini's life in general and mm -hmm. in fact the making of Casanova but the version that they end up filming for the nine musical film is just eight and a half using songs that worked for that story. Does that yeah. make sense? So, so I liked it and I didn't like it. It was, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a push pull for me for nine because yeah, it's, buddy. you know, but I do love my favorite part of nine mm -hmm. is Fergie Saragina. I thought that was fantastic. She gained oh, some I weight can see for that. I can see that. She did a great job, and of course, that's one of my favorite songs from the musical. So that's that's always fun, and she sang it beautifully. Uh, do you have any other notes? Because I'm going to get to the end. Uh, the no, I just had stuff to to comment on, and it was like. I think screen test was the only one I didn't oh, the comment on. I forgot about the screen test. Yeah, See? he he uh he had the That's screen a test after too. the harem scene, and he mm -hmm. um and he just kept trying to again force his fantasy out, but except mm -hmm. this time it wasn't working the way it had worked for him in the past. Yeah, no. So he these people who don't have scripts don't have their roles. He's telling them what to say, and he is giving these women the same lines that we know the women of his past yes. had said. Yes. And he's giving them the same scenarios. In fact, his wife. And his wife is there, and, and she... he gives them, just like, in front of her. Right in front of her. Like, what What was it? Where she called him a liar. Mm -hmm. And she... And Dialogue he... from their life. From yeah, their from, like, yeah. the night before. From yeah. their fight the <laughs> night before. And... <laughs> <laughs> where, where he's like, do you really want to separate from me? Uh, well, aren't you afraid of being alone? And she was like, aren't I alone already? Mm. Like, and so he just keeps having... And then having... when he has them put the glasses on. Yeah, and it's she like, was like... Ugh. And the word, the, the part is, is like, she's sitting there in the audience watching it. Yeah. And it's like, so embarrassing. And of course, all the people in the the producers and everybody in the room know who his wife is and that she's sitting right there. Yeah, but Guido doesn't like, care. Shit. He doesn't. He really doesn't give a shit. No, because it's not, because he's trying to, a moment happened that he didn't like and he's trying to uh, make it better, but in his way. Yes. For, like, he's trying to he's direct try, He's trying to, yeah, he's trying to rewrite his story. Reproduce it. Yeah, and it's <laughs> gross. <laughs> But I was like, I love... Guido, you got grosser. How? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh it's possible. <laughs> uh, he, 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 um, so he, but I love when she puts, or she, they're all putting the glasses on. <laughs> yeah. And she takes hers off. Yeah. She's like, oh, fuck this. Mm -hmm. This is not me. How dare you? So she takes, and that's basically when she's like, bitch, I'm out. She's like, for real though. Bye bye. Bye. Um, and then he has the dream after that. That where he hands the producer, or wait a minute, yeah. Well, there is that. He, he, he has a fantasy he, where he, hangs he kills the himself. Oh, the, yeah. That's the, the same. That's, that's the same the, one, right? Well, there's a scene where he hangs the producer. That's in the screen test scene, mm -hmm. which I thought was hysterical. 
Uh, <laughs> because his producer was like, it makes no sense. Or no, maybe it was it's hard critic. to follow. Maybe it was the critic that he hung. It, it had to, it has to have been the guy who was like, it's hard to follow. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Hang it. And everyone, is, and everyone there is like, why are we doing this? Uh, um, yeah, I guess the, the press conference is next, right? Yeah, and He's that's that's away. where he uh, he kills himself. That's where he yeah he, which is the first time you see a gun. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I noticed how, like, it was, like, just a second, like, we saw the gun, it cut away, and then it came back, and we see him there, and then we hear a bang, Mm -hmm. even though we still see him. Like, I liked how that was done, even though I know that this wasn't necessarily a time where violence was so graphic on Mm -hmm. film, uh, but I really... Also, if that ha- was how the movie ended, I would have been like, okay. <laughs> I think I would have been, I think it would have been okay with like some sort of separation like that. Like some sort of like, oh, I maybe I am alone and maybe I need to take a walk on my own mm-hmm. and like reevaluate things. Like if it were to end in some, in some detachment or separation like that, I would have been like, okay. Yeah. Well, in in reality, but it was the opposite. <laughs> in reality, this is what actually not. I mean, not obviously what actually happened, but the the press sequence mm-hmm. did happen for Fellini. For Fellini, this was basically the moment that he realized, "Oh, I'm making this movie." Like the movie that we just watched yeah. is the movie that was made because of this moment. So right. it was where he was forced into like, "Oh shit, I gotta mm-hmm. make a fucking movie," and it's gotta be something and but basically he he admitted to the press at this press conference like i don't have a movie i don't know what i'm doing yeah and, and then the this is also yeah. when he has to admit that he and you also love that there's movie. all this reflective surface mm-hmm. in that scene i love that all the mirrors it's yeah. amazing so he's reflecting his own reality onto back onto himself like it's yeah it's beautiful but i also love i love the critic that or the uh, the press person is like he has no idea what he said like right to oh, the camera oh in perfect english <laughs> beautiful 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 yeah uh, um, what what was it he... that was another thing about this film that it had so many different voices and he different... has nothing to say like, yeah he yeah. has nothing to say that's what yeah. it was um <laughs> I, I wrote it. that down cuz i was like yeah yeah and i think if if but i i also figured that that would have been the tagline to the movie <laughs> he has nothing to say. <laughs> I don't know what the what was the tagline. Did you write? That I down? no, I couldn't find a tagline. I don't know if there was one. They were like, yeah, make it up yourself. Who cares? No, <laughs> no, he didn't even give it a title other than eight and a half. Yeah, exactly. And it's not Guido's eight and a half Fellini. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But so now we get to the end. Mm-hmm. And originally there was a different ending. This film was supposed to end with a train ride, and it was filmed twice. It was filmed with everybody in white and everybody in black. And I can't remember. I mean, obviously, we don't know what it was exactly going to be because Cause they did. it never happened. But right. um, is he did film the segments, but he didn't finish it because what they ended up doing was he they wanted to have a trailer that they could film. Kind of like we talk about all the time, where it was a trailer that was independent of the movie. Like, let's just show them uh, 
all the people in the movie. Yes. So basically that's exactly what they filmed. They were like, let's have everybody walk down our ridiculous structure that we built for no reason. Mm-hmm. And you can see the entire cast of the movie. So you can see like, hey, come see this movie with all these people in it. <laughs> it was very pretty. And that's basically the trailer is what ended up being the end of the film instead. Okay. And I actually love the end of this film. I think it's gorgeous. I think that... I would agree. It The music... I mean, Nino has his biggest moment when they open that curtain and everybody starts coming down and it's just like all the instruments come in. It's like... Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's so good. And I love that it ends with the younger version of Fellini, like, playing his last little notes mm-hmm. on his flute. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just... it's And then it goes dark. It's like, that's the end. But it's also... He's directing it. He's directing the end of the sequel. Like he's, it's almost he's like once again lost in to, his fantasy. I have to, I have to direct this movie. That's kind of what that was. Like, okay, well now that I failed, mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta go back to work. I gotta f- fix this. I gotta make this, and that's what he did. Right and on. that's what he. That's literally what Fellini did. He made eight and a half. Yeah, yeah. So that's eight and a half. <laughs> Oh, um, and Fellini didn't see the actual film before they had to edit it. Like, he wasn't able to screen it, because I guess there was something wrong with the film. I thought you were going to have a note on that. I didn't. I don't think Where I Where did I read that. that? Where did you read that? Where did I read that? It's like my first note. I was like, oh, that would suck. Yeah, I like, didn't know Like, that. to film a shot and not know, like... Oh, the dailies! Yeah, yeah he didn't have dailies. Yeah. dailies. I remember something about that. I can't remember what it was, though. Yeah, me neither. It was something... Yeah, you're right. It had something to do with the, the film. Oh. Yeah, there was... I probably wrote that on my other notes. I mean, there's... I mean, there's a lot of fantastic shit all over the place. <laughs> with films. But, yeah, like, big scenes. Big scenes like that. Like, the last scene at the end. Mm-hmm. To not be able to review it and know whether or not you needed to, like, reshoot something or, like, do it from a different angle. Well, I also think, in a weird way, with this particular film, who cares? (laughs) Well, you know what? If there was a film to to not, like, regard, like, yeah, yeah, commit to it, it would be this one. It would be this one, yeah. And I think, honestly, that's probably half of what he did. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, anytime I'm in any sort of artistic scenario, most of the times, I end with something I didn't intend to. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'll start one way and I'll end another. Because, like, you know, you change. Once you're in the middle of it, it's... It's something... It's a whole nother perspective entirely. And you might be inspired or... uh, even unimpressed with your original idea. Yeah. You know? Fellini was uh, 100% that way. And I and I absolutely get that. But I would still would want to know what it looked like. Well. <laughs> well, And, I, and I've yeah, done maybe. stuff without reviewing it. Oh, I meant to say the watch. I forgot to bring up the watch. What watch? So he was given a gift of a watch from his producer mm-hmm. early on in the movie. It was like. Oh. Like the yeah. producer's coming down the stairs and Guido's like. Ah, blah, 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 like mm-hmm. praising him. Uh, by the way, the hat. Like, I didn't bring up the hat either. That fucking hat. I want that goddamn hat. And <laughs> I am mad that I can't have that hat. Guido's hat? Guido's Why can't hat. you have the hat? 
Huh? Why can't you have the hat? Because it's not a thing. Like, it's... And it's even funnier because a, a hat company came to Fellini after that film and the success of the film was like, we would love to make that hat mm -hmm. a thing that people could buy. And that's one of Fellini's regrets that he said no. <laughs> it's like, I wish that I had said yes. because <laughs> That would have been a lot of money. That would have been some money. And guess what? I would have been able to have the damn hat. Because I think basically the hat that Guido or well Marcello Mastroianni used was, it was a child's hat, mm -hmm. and I think it was like a child's cowboy hat or something really weird, that like didn't make any sense for him to. That's why it's so small, and he played with it a lot so that the ends would curl up weird. So, anyway, I'm fascinated by that hat. I wish I could have that damn hat. That's my story. I did find a hat that was very similar, and I I wrote down all the specifics of it because uh, I think it was a Stetson that I found at an antique store, but it was the wrong size for my head. It did not fit correctly, so I did not purchase it, but I wrote down, and I took pictures, and I wrote down, <laughs> I was like, I need to find this hat in my size because that was the closest I have ever seen. Right on. It's totally unimportant, but I want that hat. Anyway... Uh, but the watch, the watch was a true story. Uh, <laughs> the producer that financed or whatever produced La Dolce Vita made a fuck ton of money off of La Dolce Vita and gave Fellini a watch. Yeah, right on. And Fellini was like, well, thanks. What about some money? <laughs> For huh. the success of my film. That would have been nice. <laughs> Did Fellini not get money for it? I mean, he got something, but certainly not as much as the producer got in the end. I mean, the producer made bank on that goddamn thing. And, oh, and, and he's like, here's a watch. watch. <laughs> I was like, wow, thanks. So Fellini put that right into his next movie. Well, of course he did. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right on. And there was a uh, a strike at the the print lab. What's that? Where are you getting all this stuff from? I didn't know this. Uh, you know more about it than I do. Cinecita, but the the Cinecita, the... Cinecita Studios. Yeah, mm -hmm. there was a strike at the development and print lab. Interesting. During post production, so Fellini was unable to check daily shoots. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I dig it. I like it. Right on. So that's eight and a half in a nutshell. Yeah. Oh. Oh. By the way, it's a comedy. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> okay. Did you laugh? I guess that's, so. That's what he wrote under the lens. Oh, yes, you're he right. Said, remember, he did. This remember, is this comedy. is a comedy. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Well, I while they were forming, they, didn't, they didn't quite have a script. That's a note that I see ad nauseum. So I just yeah, <laughs> I did not bring it up. So. It's, it, and it was where I saw all over. And I was like, maybe that's the tagline. <laughs> remember, this is a comedy. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, thanks for the reminder. Thank I you. Forgot I totally forgot. I, I wouldn't have. No. I wouldn't categorize this necessarily as a comedy. No. It, it's, it has funny moments, but overall, I, I don't know. No. I feel like it's more surrealist than anything. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful confusion. <laughs> oh, well. So, what's the movie you would recommend? Uh, Juliet of the Spirits. Okay. Yeah. For sure. I think I would recommend Eraserhead. 
give or, them dreary afterwards. Or, yeah, like, if you want a director that, you know, well, this, is this, directing this... a feeling and is trying to get you to feel a feeling, like, yeah. one particular feeling over, like, a course of, like, 90 to 120 minutes, mm-hmm. I would say that. Eraserhead. Yeah, that's true. I can see that. Or if you want a movie where a person is dipping into fantasy from reality, also Eraserhead. Um, Keep it coming. Like just dipping back and forth in stressful times uh, into their fantasy. I would recommend Dancer in the Dark. But I also really like Dancer in the Dark. Oh, of course. That uh, movie's like, what, three hours long? Oh I was surprised God, at how long hour? this movie was. This is a long movie. Yeah. I was like, it was made in 1963. How is it more than 93 minutes? Well, <laughs> La Dolce Vita was also very long. It's like three hours. Fellini got too much to say. I'm like, oh my, I'm a, I'm, where say. is he? I'm going to talk to him. He got, he got too much <laughs> and he got nothing. <laughs> well, I was also going to say, like, this film kind of set, well, La Dolce Vita in this one kind of set up how he does films. Li- I mean, obviously, they were more structured to some of them, like Julia's Spirits. It has a structure, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of. Um, but a lot of his films later in life were like uh, almost like mockumentary. I believe that that term actually came up because of Fellini, mm-hmm. which we have, we, we talked about this in a previous episode, I'm sure, but paparazzi was also a, yes. a term from, it was La Dolce Vita, it was paparazzo was one of the characters. And that's, was his job was to take pictures of celebrities. And that's where this term comes from. Right on. Paparazzi, paparazzi. Hmm. So, um, but he basically made films that were just, yeah, kind of like kind of like a documentary, but not really a documentary. It was very, very interesting. I, lo- I love his later films. I think they're fascinating. Yeah. And I also think, like, like I was saying, how this was his 10 years in. Well, I'm done. So anything after this is just, I could do whatever the fuck I want. Who cares? And yeah. he did. Like, he did, I mean, he did, he did do, I guess he did do, massively successful films after this because a lot of the films that you associate with Fellini are after this. Right. I mean, I would say La Dolce Vita, Eight and a Half, uh, Satyricon, for sure, uh, which is When later. was uh, Amacord? Amacord was 75. So, so yeah. yeah. So I mean, well after this. And Amacord, Amacord marks the end of his... Um... How do I say that? Like financially studio backed kind of filmmaking. Does that make sense? Like, like it yes. was harder for him to get his films financed after that film. So none of them ever looked the same after Amarcord. Amarcord was like the last of the old studio kind of budgeted films that he did. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then after that, it was all like, like, today, he would have filmed him on his iPhone if he could. Like, it, like it, it was yeah. however he got to make his film, he would make his fucking film. Like, right on. Doesn't matter. He would just do it. Just do it. And he did. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, yeah. All right. Oh, is that it? I th- yeah, I believe so. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, yeah. Join uh, us at another 
point. Yeah. For Tune in things. next week for Ari Aster's Midsommar 2019. I don't have a story, so oh, don't social wait media, for me. We have all that. You can go find it. One Foot, one foot Podcast. OneFootPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, one Foot Podcast on Instagram, Twitter. Something like that. And yeah. Facebook is One Foot. Most importantly, though, is to subscribe, rate, and review on mm-hmm. iTunes. Yeah, uh, that really gets us more exposure. It really does, and uh, or any of your listening and devices. Our uh, guest host, she should be listening to all of them now. Yeah, John edited it and made a clip. I edit so that there's a clip of her at the beginning of every single episode. Now. Yeah, so there's no reason for her not to listen. Yeah. She's in all of them. Yes, you heard that correctly. <laughs> I know you're listening now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Bye bye. Oh. Hold that note. Hold that note. Hold that note. Oh.